So we've got one saying super hot, super demand, and then we've got others saying, hey, we are seeing some slowdown in November and December from new home sales market, and buyers are getting discouraged because there isn't enough property, because it's tough to find the property they want. So the question is this, how do most agents find the secrets to succeed in today's competitive real estate market, especially when the top agents are keeping those secrets to themselves? That's the question, and this podcast will give you the answer. Hi, I'm Aaron Amuchastegui, and welcome to Real Estate Rockstars. Real Estate Rockstars, welcome back. This is Aaron Muchastegui, and today we are doing State of the Market. Let's see, number 64. I get to bring back one of my guests that was on. So she was episode 904, Kelly Skevel from Ithaca, New York. Kelly, thanks for coming to talk to me today. Hey, Aaron. Thanks for having me. You know, Kelly and I, we check in a lot online. We get to kind of follow each other with, with, with what each other's doing and getting to see like different investments that she's working on and different tips. So I reached out to ask her if she'd come on again and just talk news with me. And now we're here. So it's, it's end of 2020. Can, does, do you feel like 2020 was a fast year or a slow year? I feel like both, right? I feel like at times it was flying by and at other times it was like the longest I feel like the summer was like the longest. It just—I feel like both. I don't know. Yeah. What about you? I—I think I think it's it's weird because at the beginning you think that it's going by. I think it went by fast. Right now it feels like the year went by fast. But when you're doing like the same thing every day, right? Like when we were on lockdown and there was no variation from day to day. Each the day felt like oh my gosh, it's just going by. But like then the memory they like links them all together into one day, and it's like oh that. That, that's first six weeks of lockdown so went pretty yeah. fast. Yeah, that was easy. Yeah. Now we got to see what's next. So, so when you came on back in like March and April, the world had just been shut down. You're in upstate New York. The, you had talked a lot about kind of how to run your business as a real estate agent while you were, had kids at home. Right. Because that was at the, at the time everybody had, cause you had done that before you had experienced with that before. And, and at the time, everybody was kind of experiencing homeschool and being a parent and a, like an at-home parent and a worker at the same time. So you gave lots of fun tips about, you know, how to do that. (laughs) So what is the story with, with your, your kids in school now? Is it still like that or has it changed? Yeah. So we decided to send them back when school reopened in September to send them back. uh, You could do full virtual or full face-to-face five days a week. And we chose the five days a week face-to-face but since then, they have been, uh, they've shut the school down twice for a couple of weeks at, and then reopened it again. Um, so we're set to go back face to face right now. They're saying January 11th, they'll go back face to face again. And I think maybe that week before they're going to be virtual for that first week. I can't remember exactly, but so it, we're doing kind of going back and forth with both. Yeah. I think it's been really similar in. I think in, you know, in Texas and Northern California and even in, you know, where it's, where places are really strict or really not. I think a lot of places, kids are, kids are back at school. They're giving people the options though. The the school system has just varied a little bit. There's a lot of, you know, that if they're there, it's, it's masks and some separation and, you know, slightly different experiences. But I think a lot of parents are giving, you know, kids the choice and saying, Hey, do you want to hang out with your friends or not? And, and, and most yeah. of them are choosing to, most of them are choosing to go back and the, and it'll yeah. be 
be good for things. What have you heard? You know, we've had a lot of talks lately about like the real estate market. And we've talked a lot about New York City and San Francisco as those places where COVID has affected more dramatically than others. Up in Ithaca, do you guys hear much about the market in, in New York City? We don't hear a lot about the actual market down there, but we do have, we've had a lot of buyers throughout the year have come up from Long Island, New York City, um, even even as far away as Boston, coming up here and buying. They really affected our little market quite a bit. So that's kind of what we've experienced in terms of, you know, what we're seeing from New York City. Yeah, that was, that's a lot of what we've talked about on the news, right? It's people leaving the cities to kind of go to the suburbs, to go to the places with just a little bit more space. You know, Sacramento yeah. is a, a city in Northern California that is really just booming right now because it's so close to the Bay Area and it's so much less expensive than the Bay Area, you know, San Francisco. So places are leaving San Francisco, leaving the big cities of San Francisco. And just a couple hours of, up the road is, is Sacramento. So there's these certain towns that are really booming well, you know, that they're, they're benefiting more than others. So I could see places being a couple hour drive from, from New York City getting that bonus. I could see places that are a couple hour drive from LA or from San Francisco or some of those, you know, the bigger cities where life has been changing to really start to boom. What's your real estate career been like this year, right? So the, what's, how has 2020 treated you? Yeah, it was a great year. Uh, it was my best year yet. I surpassed my goal uh, that I set, you know, for the year. And at one point, my team leader early on in COVID came to me and she was like, do you want to, do you want to, do you want to change your goal? Do you want to lower your number? And I was like, nope. And then I beat it. And I was like, this is great. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, it's been good. How many deals was it? Because I mean, we talked goals when you were on in March, April. How many deals did you do this year? Yeah. So I ended up doing, let's see, I had to write it down. I did 24, uh, 24 deals. It was just shy of 6 million in volume. So that the goal is- was five. That's so awesome. Especially like even just that mindset, right? Like when COVID first hit, I panicked. I was like, I was selling assets. And like, I, I was like, I had a couple extra houses. I'm like, I need to sell these now before the market goes down. I got to make these changes. I thought that I really felt like the sky was falling. And there are so many people that, that like have thrived this year. And I think that's super cool that she said, Hey, do you want to make your goal lower? And you're like, no, I'm not going to adjust no. my goal <laughs> down. I'm just going to see. And then it turned out that, um, what would you what would you attribute your biggest success in 2020 to be like, or if someone said like, what's your, like, what's the one thing that you think by doing it, it helped you this year? Uh, I think just adapting, right? Like, like, like so many businesses had to adapt. Like I, I saw in the beginning, I was really impressed with like restaurants that were adapting and just turning to curbside service or just how quickly a bunch of different businesses and investors were pivoting and adapting. And I think, just learning how to adapt, you know, with all of the re- regulations and the, the COVID rules and, and showings and virtual, you know, all of that just helped, I think, keep my business going when, when buyers came to me and sellers. Yeah. Adapting and being ready. And you guys, so you and your husband, you also are investors. So the, I think when we talked last, you had uh, several houses that were rentals. I don't remember your unit count. What was it when, you know, back in March and April and what is it now? Yeah, so when we talked last time, we had 10, 10 units that we owned, and we had an eight-unit under contract. And shortly after, I think we had our interview, we closed on that, and that has been an awesome uh, addition to our portfolio. Uh, there's, uh, I think in general, 
I mean, so you have 18 units and we have a, we have a large portfolio and in general, we're more occupied than we've ever been. We're like a 99.9% .9 occupancy rate. And we have some people not paying because of, you know, eviction moratoriums and stuff, but our collection rates are kind of higher than they've ever been. Even considering that we have some people in default because we're fully occupied, we're doing yeah. better. What's it been like for you? Yeah, we, uh, I agree. We are, we are, have been a hundred percent occupied since last January, which for quite a few years was not the case for us. Yep. And we are actually, all of our tenants are paying as well. We have a mix of students and young professionals. And then with this newly acquired eight unit, we have a couple section eight uh, tenants mixed in there too. And for now, everybody is paying. I actually, I take that back. There's one tenant that we inherited She's not paying her portion, but a large amount of her, her rent is paid by a rent assistance program. So, yeah. So, yeah. And that, that's one of the things we do have a few section eight people where section eight pays 90% of their, of their rent and the people have to pay 10% and they haven't paid. We have several that haven't paid their 10%, but section eight evictions, I think are, I don't think you can have any sort of, they have their own eviction moratorium. If it's a section eight, you know, property, there's no evictions allowed right now. I don't know when that's, it was first, there was an eviction moratorium for like section eight and, you know, government owned loans. And then that kind of went away and then it was replaced with the CDC eviction. And we'll get into that one with the news. Maybe the section eight one's gone. Maybe it's just the CDC one now, but I'll have to double check that. Yeah. I haven't heard about that section eight one. I actually just recently called to get some more information on evictions and I didn't hear that, that section eight one, but that could you know, totally still exists and I'm just not aware of it. Yeah. I mean, I really love having section eight rental assistance rentals. I mean, the it's even when it's only the, even when it's just the 90% of the partial coverage, because once you get that resident in there, for the most part, they love being in the program that, you know, the rent comes on time and the, they know if they mess it up, they kind of lose that ticket. So I've, I've heard horror stories of people like, you know, wrecking stuff, you know, of section eight tenants being bad, but I have, I haven't had that experience at all. Have you had, is this, you just have one section eight tenant? We have three that we inherited with that eight unit and then other, so otherwise we didn't have any previously. And two of the three, yeah, are great tenants. They pay their portion on time. They, they keep their, their places immaculate. They've been, it's been really great. And they have, they have lived at the property for quite a few years you know, prior to us taking it over. And as long as they want to continue to stay, we'll, we'll have them stay. But yeah, yeah. That, it's been a great, I'm a little more open to it now that I've experienced it. And especially in a pandemic, like you said, where, where most of the rent is being paid by the government. Yeah. That, and that's one thing that I think is, I think that section eight programs are going to get bigger. You know, some of the, some of the news from a few weeks ago was kind of one of Biden's plans of affordable housing and really trying to push more affordable housing and putting more money into that, changing zoning laws and things like that. And if I was going to have one prediction of 2021, it would be a lot more Section 8 funds available before the end of the year, yeah. a lot more Section 8 programs. And so if you are listening and you're a landlord or you have you know customers that are landlords, I would start to learn a little bit about you know Section 8 and how it works. Real estate rock stars. This is Aaron Muchastegui with a quick commercial break from our sponsor, Rent Ready. And you've heard me talking about them lately. You heard them talking about the offers. I even interviewed Ryan Barone in episode 939. So you guys can go back and listen to that to learn more about Rent Ready. But here we go. Looking to streamline your rental property finances this year, tenant management can eat up a big part of your budget. 
so reducing turnover and avoiding costly vacancies can save you big bucks year over year. Keep a profitable cash flow with consistently occupied units when you use RentReady. With RentReady, all you need is one software to see expiring leases, list units, screen tenants, e-sign leases, track renter's insurance, send rent reminders, and collect rent online. RentReady can help you manage your tenants, increase retention, and keep business costs low. As part of a special deal, RentReady is offering our listeners a whole year of RentReady for one buck, right? That's what I'm always talking about. One buck, that's right, one dollar, but only if you use our code. So you have to use code ROCKSTAR and sign up for RentReady's annual plan at rentready.com. That's R-E-N-T-R-E-D-I.com. If you've got one house, five houses, or 10 houses, and you just want to check it out, I've gone and looked at it. You know, I have a lot of rentals that we own, and, and we were using five or six different software technologies. One to be able to list properties, one to be able to accept money, we create the lease in a different document. We use DocuSign for other things. We've got all these different sources, but RentReady is doing it all for one. I recommend you go check it out. Let's jump into some news. The Today is December 28th. I cannot, that's so weird to say. December 28th, year is almost over. December 28th, 2020, I cannot wait for 2021. Although the first few months of 2021 might be similar to what we've experienced. So I, I think everybody was hoping that by the time the ball dropped, it would be, you know, all right, we could just say, we could put it in the rear view, but I don't think we're quite in the rear view yet. But the news of last night says Trump signs a stimulus and government spending bill into law now averting the shutdown. So this was an article from the Washington Post, but it's all over the news everywhere this morning. The stimulus had been getting talked about a lot over the past couple of weeks and some different things that are in the new stimulus. And so you know, a couple of highlights of that was, I think there was, there, so it's a $600 payment to people. You know, $300 of unemployment add-ons, right? I think, and I think that's a weekly, an extra $300 a week on unemployment. At the very beginning of the pandemic, they, do you remember what they did the, at the beginning of the pandemic? What was it? It was 500 for the add-on? It was either I, five or six, right? Yeah, I think you're right. I think it was either five or 600 at the beginning. And, the, and then it got moved to, and then it went to kind of nothing. And there was a lot of talk that there was going to be a $2,000 payment to people in the stimulus. And so it was, it was down to 600. Then Trump said he wasn't going to sign unless they came back with the $2,000, you know, per household. He ended up signing last night with it still as the 600. I'm trying to find the, you know, the article summary that I just saw on it, but they, but they said now there's going to be another one, like even tomorrow that they're going to vote on. That's an additional 2000, but it was so $600 payments to taxpayers oh. and dependents is what got approved. $300 a week in enhanced unemployment benefits, a one month extension to the CDC eviction moratorium. So that's, that's what you and I were talking about before. So the CDC eviction moratorium is a form that says, if I get evicted, I will be homeless or have to move in with family and it will uh, increase my chances of getting COVID. And so they signed that and then it would just waive all eviction. So all of our original eviction that we had posted got extended to January 3rd or January 4th. Now it says that's getting extended to January 31st. And, and, but now Congress is also scheduled to in introduce legislation today to take $600 payments to 2000. The biggest thing they added in there is $25 billion in rental assistance. Do you remember like to, to, over the past 10 years, there's been lots of different kind of stimulus and and those sorts of ideas what do you think about rental assistance like rental stimulus the have you have you looked into it much 
You know, in the beginning, I looked into it a little bit, but I honestly haven't looked into it a lot. I haven't, ha- I haven't needed to because of yeah. my tenants paying rent. So I don't know exactly how I feel about it personally. I mean, it, it, initially, I feel like it's it's good, right? Like landlords are are left holding. You know, the tenants aren't paying. Landlords still have to pay their mortgage. I don't. When we when it all first happened, and I was calling the banks to find out what kind of um, what they were doing for landlords, they were basically saying, you know, well, defer, you can defer your payment. I think our bank said for three months, this was initially, you could defer the payment for your mortgage payment, just the mortgage payment, not your, not your um, taxes. And our taxes up here are really high. So you could defer your, just the mortgage payment for three months. And then at the end of that three months, the whole, that entire amount you deferred was due. And then you could apply for like a, it was like an eight or nine month payment plan for those. So it just, it didn't, when I called, I was like, this doesn't sound like it would be super helpful. Nothing that I wanted to get into. So I think if we can get rent assistance, that helps the landlords that are left whole, you know, paying this mortgage. I think your experience with it too is like, you know, 30 million other landlords, right? So there was the eviction moratoriums protected people from not paying their rent. There were also foreclosure moratoriums but a lot of the, the discrepancy in that was it had to be a you know an FHA or Fannie Mae loan, and it had to be an owner occupied. Like they weren't they you know if you're an investor and you don't pay your mortgage right now, that's the exception that you could actually get foreclosed on, right? So the yeah. there you know there are still some foreclosures happening. It's about you know it's one fifth of the normal number right now, but that's the exception. Private loans or ones that were investor loans. So if you have an investor loan, like, so small landlords are the ones that I think have struggled the most with these eviction moratoriums. I, I understand why you do an eviction moratorium, right? You don't want to have so many, you know, tens of millions of people getting evicted all at the same time, especially at a time where it's, you know, financially, they haven't been able to replace income. You know, now with this new stimulus, hopefully people get a little bit, the people on unemployment get that little bit of extra mm-hmm. money. And the, and I don't know if it's a, I don't know how it's going to be taxed. I think, I think the extra $600 payment and the extra $2,000 payment, it's kind of like a prepayment of a tax credit or something. So they're, yeah, so it's, it's not, it's not free money. There, there are some kind of caveats to it, but it says this, this $25 billion plan. So the National Rental Home Council is a group that I'm a part of. And they said appropriates $25 billion for implementation. They read the new act and kind of sent us a summary and said they're going to each state district of Columbia will be eligible to receive funds directly from the secretary of the treasury. The, and if it says local governments are eligible to receive funds directly from the secretary of state, if their population exceeds 200,000, initially each state will be eligible for $200 million, regardless of its size, leaving 14.6 billion, 14.6 billion will be distributed to states in which their proportion to their share of the U S population. So, it's kind of said of the 25 billion, 15 billion of it is just going to be spread out among states based on population. And 10 million is going to be specific to places with higher you know, population. And then you know, every state's going to have you know, some of that. It says eligible households. Eligible household includes a household that contains an individual that qualifies for unemployment benefit and experience a reduction in household income at risk of experiencing ho- homelessness or housing instability or at or below 80% of the area median income. So I don't know if people need to be both on unemployment. I said it qualifies for unemployment benefits. I don't know if that means they have to be unemployed or not. Um, 80% of area median income, but it says they will be able to use the assistance for rent 
rental arrears, utility and home energy costs, and other housing expenses determined by the Secretary of Treasury. So they're going to essentially get the money to local counties and local cities. And they said some localities already in April and May came up with their own rental assistance programs. And then they spent the money really quickly. So they said that those, those, those counties and cities that already have a program are going to get that money first. And so the you know, people, if you're out there, if you're out there listening, I would say get ahead of it because that is a really big fund that they're trying to push into that. But if you do the quick math on, you know, how many yeah. tens of, if, if you like, t- if there's 10 million people in default, you know, and each of them gets a th- is a behind two, 3000 in rent. I think that's your, I don't know if I'm doing my math right, but I mean, you're very quickly, you're going to start spending Yeah, it's gonna uh, get used up. 30 billion is going to go pretty fast in that. So that is, that's going to be really interesting. So I'm, I'm glad you haven't had to look at it yet. And the, uh, and we are going to start to look at it. And so and our advice to landlords out there is to be able to get ahead of it, try to fill out, figure out what programs are going to do it, you know, fill it out for your, for your residents, go show up at their house and say, Hey, we've got this ready for you. We just need you to sign yeah. so we can go get your rent paid for and we can, we can leave you alone. So I think that's going to be a good, I, I think most of the people that are in default are going to get assistance. The, I, I guess the only thing that's going to be tough is for the people that are, that are making it the median income or more. But I think their justification in that is if people are making the median income, they should be able to pay their rent. So we'll see. And then the CDC eviction moratorium like that is, yeah, now it's, that's the January 31st and it won't be extended again by this administration. I have to imagine. Do you think they'll keep extending that throughout next year? I was, uh, I was actually, personally, I was surprised that it, it only was extended to the, you know, the end of January. I thought for sure it was going to go into March. Yeah. I think some states have taken it further already. I mean, I think California, it's, it's end of February right now, and, and some different places are doing it. Yeah, it was kind of like punting it. It was just a very a quick little punt to say, all right, so now it'll get yeah. through, through one administration and, and leave it up to the next administration to figure out what they're what their rules will be. I think there's always going to be, I think this year there's going to be some sort of a something to slow the normal process of it, whether it's a full moratorium. I mean, there are some exceptions to the moratorium uh, that people are starting to see. We have, we have one resident that actually, that we found out he actually owns a house too, but he's on the CDC moratorium form. But in that form, he has to sign something that says, I don't own any other, I don't have any other properties to live in. Well, that's, yeah, if it's inaccurate, if he actually had two homes and he's not paying rent on one, you know, so we will, we'll see. It'll be interesting. There isn't really a specific way to, though, to go back to court and say, hey, he's in, in violation of that. So lots of stuff on rentals. The next article that I, that I sent over to you that we were looking at, it's along the same line. I just want to touch on it really quick. It says, you know, millions of renters are fighting to stay housed as the eviction near. And this was a Bloomberg article, and it was an opinion article from Prashant Gopal and Patrick Clark. It just says, hey, they're going to give $25 billion for rent support, but it falls well short of what's needed. And it goes through kind of the, the story. Are you going to risk potentially dying just to pay a bill? But if you don't pay a bill, you're going to be homeless. You have to literally decide what's worse. And so that's what kind of people are, are facing out there. I was thinking this article had a little bit in there of, you know, how quickly they thought that. It said Democrats and Republicans broke a months-long stalemate to pass a $900, $900 billion pandemic relief package, yet even that, which extends the federal eviction ban through January and earmarks $25 billion. It says, oh, this is the number I want to see. Tenants owe landlords $70 billion in back rent right now. Oh my gosh. Is that really what it is? $70 billion in back rent additional fees, according to estimate by Mark Zondi. So that's like the, that's exactly what we were just kind of almost number. predicting, right? Like it'll go, that'll go quick. Yeah. The, you super know, quick. Wow. 
That's a lot of billion. Like, that's a, <laughs> yeah. So, and the, the unfortunate part is most of the pe- most of those landlords aren't people that have 300 houses or 200 or right. 100 or even 18. Most of those landlords have one house, two houses. Yeah, I think, a little but, mop and, yeah, mom and pop little landlords. Yeah, there will be there will be some opportunity there, but it's it would be really tough to have one rental. You know, so many people are just getting by themselves. They got one rental, one mortgage on it, one re- one tenant, and that tenant isn't paying rent. And the yes, if there is if seventy billion dollars is owed, it's too bad that that especially the package itself was nine hundred billion. I guess I would have been happier if. 70 billion of that was accumulated that because that could have the ultimate yeah. reset is what a lot of people have pushed that that could help. So I think I agree with that opinion that, hey, it, it falls short. It says landlords filed more than 7,300 evictions in November, nearly quadruple the number in July. And property owners filed more than 2,600 cases last month in just Phoenix and Houston, where there are fewer, you know, safeguards, you know, postponing. Oh, it says in New York City, where state law protects people facing COVID-19 hardships, landlords filed 7,300 evictions in November. Quadruple what the number was from July. So in July, there was like 1,600 evictions in New York City. In November, it's 7,300. And then less were getting filed other places. So there is is a rental crisis out there, the $600 payment and the $2,000 payment. Did you see any of those articles too, that when people were like, hey, there's a $900 billion stimulus, but like 50 million is going to this other country and 10 yeah. million is going to this other country. Like I, there was so many of those. I was wondering the, if you were going to bring that up. <laughs> dude, how crazy was some of that? I, like so many people were like, why are you, I was, I wanted to write a post on it to kind of share like that is, that is an example of how socialism or big government is not going to save you in the future. Yeah. Like people have to be responsible for their own. Cause it's like, everyone was excited, excited, excited. There's going to be this big relief. And then they said, okay, everyone in the U S is going to get $600, but we're going to give $10 million to this country or $20 million to this country or this much to this other. So, and I went into research it and some of it was kind of fake news, but a lot of it wasn't a lot oh, of it was it? like, like there were some examples where it said, Hey, uh, this library was going to get the money anyway from something else. So it wasn't this, but a lot of the money going to other countries was real. That's in the bill. And how'd that make you feel? Yeah. I, I, so the headlines, I didn't really do a lot of research into it, but the headlines I was reading where it was saying, you know, this is sneaky. I was like, agreed. Like this is super sneaky. It just, it, it goes along with making, like you were saying, like not trusting big government, knowing they're not going to get it done for you. Yeah. I didn't. Yeah. And I think everybody has a right to be upset, especially when you're getting a $600 check. Right. They get a $600 check. And then even the example that the 25 billion for rental housing is only a third of what's actually needed. It's just that example of going out of $900 billion, there could, there could be a lot of stuff that can get done and, and just like anything. So you can't, you can't sit back and wait and count on a bailout or, you know, things like that to save you. You gotta, you gotta take control. So the next few articles are contradictory. So one is saying, hey, the market is going to be so awesome in 2021. And two others are saying the market's cooling off. You know, one, I just got an email from you know, Listing Spark, which is a, a company out in Texas that, you know, that you know, they, they do flat rate listings. So their December real estate market update says across major markets in Texas, our December real estate market update shows clear data that we are ending the year in one of the strongest sellers markets we've ever seen in modern history. The breakdown across Austin, San Antonio, median sales prices up 19% in Austin, closed sales up 23%, average days on market 
uh, is 33 days on market. And wow. last year it was last year in December, it was 62 days on market. So now it's 33 days on market, you know, pending sales up 23, less than a month of inventory in the city of Austin uh, In the city of Dallas, uh, two months of inventory that it was 3.3 last year, you know, San Antonio, the, uh, I guess I don't see my months of inventory, but you know, median sales price is up 30. So median sales price went up 13% in San Antonio, up 12% in Houston, 12% in Dallas, but 19% in Austin. Austin on the, on the news has shown a lot of people moving here from, you know, kind of other cities, especially like Northern California and, and, I've and places heard that. like that. Yeah. Even in the neighborhood we bought in, like every house in the neighborhood is like, we bought the day that Texas got shut down. And I was like, what have I done? Why did I buy a new house? (laughs) And then, and then later it was like, okay, the market's actually, but now they're all the houses in this neighborhood are worth at least 20% more. Like the cheapest one on the market is 20% more than mine. And you go, you know, that's crazy. What's the, what's it like up in, up in Ithaca? Yeah, so I was I was just looking at our uh, New York State Association of Realtors website at their stats and and pulled up our November stats and we're I mean it's been a, it's been great. There's been everything's increased. Closed sales. Let me see here. I wrote it all down. Let's see. In in November here in Ithaca, closed sales was up 14 percent. In all of New York State, it was up 21 percent. The median sale price in New York State went up 21 percent you know, inventory, the month supply, that's lower. Same for it with Ithaca and all of New York state. So yeah, similar. similar you say one month supply up there too? What do we have? Let me see here. I don't, I have the percentage It's down 26% for all of New York state. I don't have the, that's crazy. As a state, that's crazy too, because that's averaging in some of the markets they're saying, I mean, they say only New York and San Francisco and a couple other cities actually have, you know, more houses on the market right now than they had a year ago. So if you're looking at it statewide and still getting that, that's impressive. So the, the three different articles. So an Inman article that came out the day before Christmas says it's a super hot market. Economists weigh in on what to expect in 2021. A handful of economists shared with Inman their forecast on home sales. It says the housing market will enter 2021 blazing hot with off the charts demand and extreme shortage of homes on the sales. On home prices and sales, we're going to see start of the year in a super hot market. So that was the CEO of housing market analytics firm Atlas Research. Inventory has plunged to just under. So he's saying inventory is down, demand is still up. That was Altos data. One of the other people in there said, you know, it says, and he added, going to keep going to keep falling now through February as fresh new inventory comes on. We'll probably have a resumption of more normal market second quarter of 2021. Daniel Hale, chief economist at Realtor.com, expects home sales to continue growing, jumping 7% in 21 and prices to continue rising to new highs, though maybe not, she says, at a slower pace than 2020. Uh, so she's saying the market's still going to go up. Daryl Fairweather, chief economist at Redfin, also predicted a strong year for home sales, even stronger in 2020. She anticipates low double-digit home sales growth, close to 10%. So a lot of people are saying you know, that it's going to be super strong. And so that is, uh, that's what everybody said on that Inman article. Then I've got two articles on Realtor.com. And one came out on December 23rd, just day before. And it says, new home sales fall as buyers begin to get cold feet in an expensive market. And that was December 23rd. A week prior, it said home sales or new home sales are booming. So specifically new homes, newly built, sales of newly built homes occurred at a seasonally adjusted rate of 841,000, 11% below the pace from October. And so their headline was, people are getting cold feet. 
because now it's getting expensive. And I have seen that new home sales, every time they release a phase of like seven to 10 houses, they raise the prices and seven to 10 houses and they raise the price. And then another realtor.com article, article the day before that says existing home sales. So these are resales, you know, one person selling to another fall in November as buyers struggle to find properties to purchase. So, so we've got one saying super hot, super demand. And then we've got others saying, hey, we are seeing some slowdown in November and December from new home sales market. And buyers are getting discouraged because there isn't enough property because it's tough to find the property they want. What are your, when you think about both those sides, I know we've only had a couple more minutes, but what are your predictions with that? Yeah, it's interesting. I feel like we're going to, I feel like the hot, the market here in our area is going to open up soon. I mean, it has slowed down a little bit, but I, I feel like 2021 is going to be another strong market. I don't disagree that buyers are getting discouraged right now. I have the buyers that I have are, you know, there's really not a lot out there. There's less than normal. You know, this is our slow market. There's even less out there for them to choose from right now than, than usual. So I, I agree that they're getting frustrated, but I, I think it's, I think it's going to be another 2021 is going to be another great market. I think it's going to be a seller's market, but yeah, I, I think, I think we're going to continue to see, see a strong market. Yeah. You know, I think, I think interest rates are going to stay low. I mean, they said six months ago that they were going to keep them locked in for the next three years. And I don't see that really changing anytime soon until we see a bunch of economic jobs and, you know, big boom and come back for that middle class sector, for the service industry, for some of the, the, the people in the finance industry, you know, some of those sectors have almost no employ- unemployment right now. And so they're booming and they're getting all these low interest rates. The people at the more, you know, affordable end, lower income stuff, there hasn't been a lot of job replacement in that. So I think they'll keep interest rates low because of that. And mm-hmm. I think you're right. I think supply will stay, supply will stay low because there's nothing that's all of a sudden going to put a bunch of houses on the market. Yeah. You know, nothing's yeah. going to, nothing's going to change that. There isn't going to like home builders are building. That's the only way supply is added. And they won't be able to, to, you know, to build at that pace that works. And not everybody wants to live in a new home community. So as they add, as they add on, you know, specifics, most of the time new homes are built kind of in outskirts in these spread out markets. And so Mm -hmm. there's going to be some places where there's, there's nothing that's going to bring on extra supply. And, uh, and I think they're going to keep rates low where people can qualify. So I think, I think you're right. I think at least the first few months of the year, we're going to continue to see a seller's market. We're going to continue to see prices be tight. Although I won't be surprised if we start to see months of inventory go up because just simply because it takes longer to find the right house. You know, the, yeah. every time we list a house on the market, we get multiple offers right away uh, on it for the most part, as long as it's like an average house. So the, um, yeah. yeah, every time that happens, there's t- you know 10 buyers and there's nine people that are disappointed and one that gets the house and they, I know. I don't even know if they're excited. If you're the, if you're the highest bid out of 10 offers, are you like, yes, we did it. Or are you like, man, I just paid too much for something. How are your people? You know, if my people are the ones that lost out, I give them that, that talk like, wow, did they really like win though? Or, you know, but if if, it's my buyer that won, I'm like, we won, we did it. You did a great job. You put together a great offer. Um, So it just depends on which end of, of that, um, that, that my, my client landed on. But yeah, it was a, it was, it was crazy for those buyers with, the, like you said, like 10 offers. I did notice though, as crazy as the market was with all of the, the multiple offers that were going on in our area, that if you put your house on too high, it, it did, people were smart enough that they weren't, they weren't just like grabbing things 
like that were wickedly overpriced. It, it had to come on at a, at a, in a good range. And then it would drive multiple offers would drive the price up. But if you came on too high, people weren't, they, they weren't going to jump on it just to buy a house. It was interesting. That's a great point. So like it was the market's been hot, but not if somebody, you know, said, Hey, you know, almost like that Zillow used to have a make me move where it'd be like, yeah. your house is worth 200. And they're like, but if you give me 300, I'll move. So if people were doing that, then they're not seeing it. So last yeah. question, the, with that, like what, it, what would be the one as a, cause you're both listing agent and a buyer's agent. What'd be the one piece of advice you would give somebody to get their offer accepted? If the people are like, we love this home. We want this home. It's not just price, any extra advice you would give, you would give them. Yeah, I mean, you really you have to get creative, and it, it's uh, especially with the first time home buyers, really coaching them on how to get creative. So we'll we'll remove contingencies that they're comfortable cr- removing. Um, I'll I try I really try to get as much information and really push the listing agent from on the buyer side to to find out kind of what the you know what, what they're looking for because like you said, they're not all looking for price. It could be that they just want they just want to move fast. Maybe they want a thirty day. Here in in New York, it takes us at least. 60 days to close. Um, but with cat with an all cash offer, you can usually push that up to 30. So do they want a fast closing? Um, you know, removing contingencies, really just like working with your agent to work hard instead of just writing an offer and throwing it in, figuring out how you can put together a really strong offer, you know, aside from the price. Yeah. Removing contingencies ahead of time or doing an inspection ahead of time and, and just yeah. saying like, Hey, we're not going to do it. I think that goes a long way because that is the one thing you don't want. You don't want to have 10 offers, accept one and then have that buyer cancel a week or two later, because then you're like, man, I, I, and I've had that happen a few times in the last six months and been like, I chose the wrong buyer. Um, yeah. you know, even though it was, it seemed like it was easy. Well, Kelly, thanks for coming on. We're, we're out of time, but this has been a really fun state of the market. Any last thoughts you want to tell people as we're, fig- as we're finishing up 2020? Yeah, I think uh, just prepare. You know, like you said, I, what did I say? I saw one meme that was like, go into 2021 quiet with our, like, you know, prepared, but quiet mouths. Like, I can't remember. I'm totally messing it up. But, but yeah, I think it's going to be interesting as we... Uh, you know, set high goals. We'll go into 2021 like we did 2020 and hope for the best. Yeah. I think everyone should go into 2021 setting, setting really high goals. I'm going to adjust that. I'm going to COVID adjust them based Mm -hmm. on my goals used to be, Hey, we were going to go to like three new countries in the year and we were going to travel. So we've had to do certain things where we have to totally, so we could think about like the way the world is now and adjust those things a little bit. The funniest thing is the only goal I didn't accomplish this year that was on my list. I had two travel goals, but one specifically that I really blew it was I didn't read the number of books that I told myself to. And I'm like, what excuse did I have in 2020 (laughs) to not read enough books? Like, and I didn't even have that high of a bar. It was like read 10 and I usually do. And I did of all years to not hit my reading goal. Uh, I blew it in 2020. So uh, Kelly, thanks for coming on. We'll definitely have you on again to chat news with thanks, me Aaron. and real estate rock stars. Thank you for listening. All right, real estate rock stars. This is Aaron Muchastegui jumping in again to thank you for listening to the show. Hopefully you guys loved listening to that one. And I wanna make sure that you know about all of the extra resources that we have. And also we need your help. They say podcasts are free. You get to listen to podcasts for free. But what is the cost of that podcast? I would say if I could beg you to pay anything for that podcast, I would say the cost of the podcast is going and giving a review. 
So whether you download it on Google or Apple or YouTube or anywhere else, please go give us a review. Say what you liked, what you didn't like. It helps us get better guests. The more reviews, the higher we get in the rate rankings. Right now, we are the biggest podcast out there for real estate agents. And we want to keep that spot because we know there's lots of podcasts out there. So go give us a review. Also, be sure to go to hybendigital.com. If you liked any of the resources that those real estate agents talked about, we've got a huge video vault of those resources for free. Every punny that comes on the podcast that we interview, they give us something that helps them get their deals or helps them work with their clients. And we put that in the toolbox in our vault for you. So go to hybendigital.com and you can get it. If you're looking for real estate education, go to rebusuniversity.com. We have all sorts of courses in there to help agents succeed in real estate. How to get the listing, how to negotiate deals, you know, how to become an investor, all sorts of different stuff, rebusuniversity.com. And if you want to chat with me, go find me on Instagram. And if you come find me on Instagram, you can send me messages. Tell me what you want to hear. Tell me what you liked, what you didn't like. We try to put a bunch of content out there too. You can find me in two different places. It's at rerockstars.com for our Real Estate Rockstars page or at erinamuchastegui.com for my personal Instagram page where I can chat with you about all sorts of different things. Thanks for listening. We'll see you again soon. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.